Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Tuesday, June 20th. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of RCP, joined as usual by Carl Cannon, our Washington bureau chief, and with a surprise appearance by Andrew Walworth, the host of our Friday podcast and our producer extraordinaire. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, we that uh, Donald Trump interview by Brett Baer did was so amazing. We we needed a third voice talk. We can't handle it ourselves. <laughs> we can't. All right. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, it was on last night. Uh, I saw clips of it. I didn't see it live because I was out and about at that time. Seemed like Brett Bear got fairly good reaction from people in terms of the way that he handled his the interview, although I saw some Trump fans were sort of chafing at his interviewing. But it seemed like the president made some news in, in the way that he talked about this case. And I also saw some people, again, we're not lawyers, but from the people who are lawyers said that eh, this might not have been the smartest thing to do to sit down for an interview while, you know, right right before your trial. Did he harm his case at all, as far as you guys could tell? He didn't help it. Part of the indictment is that the government is alleging is that Donald Trump tried to get his lawyers to do to participate in a conspiracy to continue to withhold documents. That's part of the he now he's he compounded that before the indictment was even I think before it was even rendered he attacked the prosecutor Jack Smith who's pretty well known in Washington in legal circles pretty well respected pretty well liked. And, you know, Trump has now ca- called the prosecutor a thug, which is, among other names, which is a novel theory of how to defend yourself and how to get the, g- the government's lawyers to treat you fairly. And I thought now he's compounded that by basically it seemed, Andy, you, tell me if you agree, like almost almost copying to some of the elements of the indictment. So I, I just don't understand what he was doing. He seemed to suggest, though, that one, there may not have been this this document that he's alleged to have waved around these Iranian war plans drawn up by Mark Milley. And then two, he was saying, look, you know, these boxes, I just didn't have time to go through them yet. And, I, you know, they had all sorts of stuff, golf shirts and clothes and things. And I just, I'm a busy guy, Brett, you know, so what, you know, I was, I was going to get to it at some point. Yeah, I think I think the the idea that there's no document and Brett kept pushing him on that and he kept saying they were articles and clips and things like this. So, you know, that's a fact. There's either a document or there isn't. Now, we may never know, but that certainly seemed to be a problem for him and you know, the report that uh, you heard this morning that his lawyers must be cringing about what he had said. You know, this is only the first half, too. There's another half that drops right. tonight. So I don't know what's going to be in that. I thought just in terms of a, of a journalistic exercise, I thought Brett did a terrific job and it was much better format for this kind of thing than CNN. You know, he was fair. He was tough. Well, he, he asked that amazing long question in which he listed all of these people who used to work for Trump in the White House uh, from the vice president, you know, to his press secretary and everybody in between and all the names that Donald Trump has called them and then said, you know, you, you said you were going to hire the best people. Why did you hire these people? And I, I was a little surprised. Trump actually let Brett ask the question. He, he didn't interrupt him. Well, he, he did let him go on and on. You know, he gave probably the, you know, the smart answer, which is that, yeah, but for every one of those, there's 10 that were great. He didn't mention anyone who was great. There wasn't one person that he complimented in that. I was struck by how churlish Trump seemed, how uncomfortable he seemed. 
how defensive he seemed, which I, I guess is par for the course at this point. But he didn't look like someone who was confident about his future. That was my impression coming away from it. I was going to say something similar to that, Andy. My question was, how do, how do the voters, the mega voters, the Trump loyalists, they're, they're watching this. I, at some point, I felt, I wondered... If you even if you like this guy, even if you thought he was a terrific president, do we really need this? Is there nobody else in our party? Is there nobody else that I find sufficiently conservative? Nobody else is a populist because all this baggage. And that was why I focused on that question about the the name calling because you you hear this. Our reporters hear this in Iowa. Even people defend Trump. So you know, boy, we could use be better without the name calling. Be better without the tweeting. You heard this, and and at some point. And I don't know if we're at that point. The polls don't seem to show it, Tom. But but this interview was one more one more piece of evidence for Republicans that if if this guy's elected, it's going to be you know four more years of this of this kind of thing. Sure. The, the the name calling yeah. and the, the acrimony. I'm sure Trump has heard that too from his advisors and from people around him. And he kind of touched on that last night, saying. Look, I have to be this way or I don't get heard. I'll get run over. And that's one of the things that people do like about him. They may not like the specifics when he calls people, you know, stupid or, you know, some some of the sort of childish taunts. But what they do like is the fact that he takes no shit from anyone and will fight back and, you know, you hit at him, he's going to hit you back. It doesn't matter if you're the, you know, host of, of CNN or your, you know, his, his defense secretary that he previously loved. If you're going to cross him, he, he's going to fire back. And that's something that people have always liked about him. And it seems like they're willing to put up with some of the other stuff to get that from him. Yeah, I hear you. But it came across as something else, not a willingness to fight back, but in being incredibly thin skinned to attack people, not based on anything they did, but because they said something critical of you. It's 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 vintage narcissism. I, I just I, I'm wondering if his voters are beginning to see it that way. The other thing that struck me was uh, when uh, Brett asked him about whether his family would uh, participate in the new administration, and you ha- you you did come with, away with I think a little bit of sympathy. There was a little bit of humanity for a moment, and he said, you know, and it was news I think that his his children would not participate in the next administration. But Tom, did he really indict himself? Because this is what the national security attorney, uh, Bradley Moss said. He said, Mr. Trump confessed to personally going through the boxes, had no explanation for why classified records from those boxes wound up in his personal desk. He placed himself at the scene of the retention and the obstruction. This is the stuff of nightmares for a defense attorney. By that? Yeah. Again, I'm not qualified to comment on that and say what exactly what he said last night and how it'll affect the case. It's never a good thing when you're sort of sitting down for interviews in advance of, of a trial. That is lawyers don't like that at all. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, you know, if you're not, if you're not singing from the same sheet of music every single time, any little misstep you make can be used against you in the court. So um, in that sense, it's, it's not good. I just think more broadly politically, this is what, we are faced with. I mean, Trump is going to, he's going to battle this thing out in court. He's going to be battling it out in the court of public opinion and particularly among his voters. I don't think they heard or saw anything. I mean, listen, he and Brett went at it again last night over 2020 and and whether the election was stolen or not. That's something that everybody tells him, hey, just let that lie, right? It's over. Move on. Got to talk about the future. Can't talk about the past, blah, blah, blah. 
he simply does not agree with that. He's, he thinks that is a cornerstone key issue for his his constituents. He is going to talk about it every chance he gets. He's going to remind people that the election was stolen from him, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, we kind of are where we are. And it's it's to expect Trump to change uh, at this point, I think, is just naive. Well, Tom, you spoke to him about this himself, yourself, um, since he's been out of office. It, it's become clear to me, and, and it was you told me at the time it was do he really believes this about 220 that 2020 that he's not that's not just posturing most the rest of us have found it the evidence com- completely lacking but he is convinced of the truth of this i that's what that's what come across as a viewer or is a hell of an actor you agree i do yeah i do well listen we've got a few minutes left let's let's switch sides here and and go talk about Joe Biden. I mean, and whether Democrats are really, is this the best they have to offer? Uh, <laughs> David Harsani has a piece out this morning in The Federalist talking about, says Joe Biden is not okay. Over the weekend, he he made a couple of really bizarre statements. He said, God save the queen, man, when he was wrapping up this speech on guns. He said they were going to build a railroad to the Indian Ocean or something. I mean, he's just, it's, is it getting worse? What's going on here? Does Biden have what it takes. I mean, there's still people who think, and I kind of deep down harbor these, uh, this suspicion as well, that he's not going to make it through this campaign. And what about Gavin Newsom, Carl? Because the other story that's coming out this weekend was sort <laughs> Carl's of like, got to get his Gavin Newsom plug in. Like, yeah, I think he's the, paid by the mention. I think that's right. what it is. That Gavin looks like a man who's running for president. Well, it, we've talked about this. Uh, there is, and the problem is <clears throat> you have to get in pretty soon. You can't wait you know, if Robert if Robert Kennedy Jr. ties Biden in, in New Hampshire, some calamity happens to the Democratic establishment like that, it may be too late at that point to get in. You may not be able to get on the ballot in these states. So the Democrats have a dilemma. They know it. They don't know what to do about it. The media is doing its part by not reporting much of this stuff about Biden, but it's getting so that, you know, the New York Times had a story, the New York Times sort of raising these issues about the cognitive, his cognitive abilities. You know, Axios has written about it. I think in that Federalist article, they mentioned Axios, but, you know, kind of covering up for like, you know, the Republicans are weaponizing. Yeah. The I mean, the, the, yeah. The, wait, the wait, media the Republicans are weaponizing the president's senility. I, I thought, wait a minute, what's wrong with that <laughs> sentence? You know, it's even worse than that. They say, well, these are just, you know, his folksy witticisms and, you know, Biden being Biden and Republicans are weaponizing it. It is clearly more than that at this point. Well, I, I think so, but it, and you didn't even mention he seemed to cop a feel of uh, <laughs> Ava Longoria. Oh yeah, the other day that was that's I an guess, interesting piece of video. Yeah, 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 and the the, the 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 conservatives on Twitter, you know, supplemented that for their normal thing of him sniffing a little girl's hair. With, <laughs> now they have another one to add to their montage, but and, <laughs> montage and he, is getting pretty long, Carl. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Just saying. In the greatest country in the history of the world, 333 million souls. That's who we have to choose between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. But it does seem to me, Tom, like, and we talked about this on Friday, that the the Democrats do have a strategy, and the strategy is to get out the vote uh, in urban areas especially and to use their ability to use all these changes we've made in the voting laws to sort of up their vote, moving beyond what pollsters call, you know, likely voters to unlikely voters. And that if they can do that, 
they feel, I think, I think this is the strategy that they can put Joe Biden over the top. Can elect a potted plant. I mean, I think they, <laughs> I think they kind of proved that in Pennsylvania in the last election. I mean, Fetterman, right. he won that race handily and he was not fully recovered, uh, not even close. I mean, we all saw that debate performance. Everyone thought it would hurt him. Didn't hurt him. Uh, we've seen him in, in Congress. I mean, he was, again, over the weekend, you know, Biden went to Philadelphia over this this I-95, you know, collapse. And I mean, it was just the two of them standing there and Fetterman introducing him. I think that is the strategy. And and it's all just a massive vote counting operation and finding them and getting into the polls and, and hoping that that's enough. And it, it's proven enough uh, in the past. So there's no reason to think that it might not work again. I mean, the question is whether Republicans are able to match it. And, and we don't know the answer to that. We won't know the answer to that until, you know, 2024 comes around. Well, it did make me think, Carl, and I'd like your, your view on this, a little bit about uh, how we cover uh, this upcoming election. And we do tend, I think, like, I mean, I'm talking about the media as a, as a, as a whole, to sort of focus on the personalities and, and the polls and the sort of the horse race aspects of it. And yet this competition to sort of work the system may be more important part of the story than um, than anything else. I mean, it, 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 you know, to Tom's point, it may not be about the candidates. It may be about whether the parties, which are weaker than they've ever been, can actually turn out the vote and get people to the polls in these critical states. I, I agree with you, Andy, but with two caveats. One, are, there are limits to it. I mean, you still need independent voters to win a national election. And depending on how you count them, political scientists, you know, there's great debate between five and 40% of the American people as their vote is up for grabs. Discerning independent voters will not vote for Donald Trump, period. Discerning independent voters will not vote for a senile president, period. So what do they do? And if those voters stay home, then what you're talking about getting out the base becomes more important. It lends itself to a third party challenge, but that has not materialized yet. And one of the reasons is, is that if people in Washington even start to mention them, they get shouted down. There's op-eds written attacking them in the LA Times, Washington Post, wherever, saying, you're going to get Trump elected if you even talk about this. We can still hope for the uh, Glenn Youngkin, Joe Manchin fusion ticket. Possible? (laughs) No, in a word. We're getting into perilous territory now, and I'll tell you why. The presidential candidates that reporters and journalists, political journalists, want to get elected, those people never even make <laughs> that it is out true. of New Hampshire. I mean, you you remember President Bruce Babbitt, I'm sure. We, I covered him. We loved him. He went nowhere. So we should probably stop now because our our king making uh, abilities have proven non-existent All right. in the past. Well, we will leave it there for this morning. On behalf of Carl and Andy, I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of RCP, and this has been the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Tuesday, June 20th.